This episode is brought to you by Stitch Fix. Love trying new fashion trends, but find it all a little intimidating? With Stitch Fix, refreshing your wardrobe has never been easier. They figured out the new 2024 trends, so you don't have to. Just give your stylist your size, style, and budget preferences, and they'll send you five just-for-you pieces, plus outfit recommendations and pro styling advice. Refresh your 2024 wardrobe now and get started today at stitchfix.com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to another episode of Truths Be Told. I'm your host, Lindsay Mullen. Hey guys, it's been a while, right? Yeah. This is, of course, the comedy storytelling podcast where guests come on and tell true stories from their life. And, uh, you know, maybe this is your first time listening to the podcast. Welcome. Or maybe you're a longtime listener and you're like, wow, we thought you were dead. Why haven't you come out with an episode in a while? Well, you're right to think that. I've been a little bit MIA lately with the podcast. Um, to tell you the truth, folks, the universe, the universe really uh, kicked my ass the last few months. It really has been kicking my ass. Um... Personally, professionally, things have all kind of fallen apart. It's it's gotten real existential for me over here. Um, you know, I, uh, on a personal level, uh, went through a big breakup of my relationship. So I guess that tarot card reading in the last episode um, wasn't as accurate as I'd hoped. Although I still trust her. I still go to her. And you still should uh, reach out to Natalie as well. But in that particular uh, reading, uh, things played out a little differently, and now I am single. So that's a new thing to navigate. On a, you know, podcast professional level, um, I kind of hit a roadblock or two. Some of my resources that I use to create this podcast were no longer available to me. And, you know, it costs a lot of money. And I was hit with hard times. And I just kind of felt myself putting in so much energy into the podcast and not getting very much back. Um, even though I love this podcast. And if you love this podcast, I love that you love it. But it was getting to be too much. So... I got really down on myself and I thought, I'm going to quit. Nothing's working out. Life is horrible. I should just quit. I'm a big quitter. But you know what happens when you're down and out? Sometimes the universe throws you a bone. 
And that's what's happened for me lately. The universe, the universe is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe reaching out to me and going, don't give up just yet, you know? And, uh, one of the ways that the universe has reached out is just as I was planning on quitting this podcast, the podcast was nominated for a Canadian Podcast Award. Yeah, we were nominated for uh, Outstanding Society and Culture Series. Isn't that exciting? Like, I didn't even like, you know, submit for that or anything. It just totally caught me off guard and I feel absolutely tickled about it. So that's really cool. If you uh, are a podcaster, you can actually vote for us. So look up the Canadian Podcast Awards online and give us a vote. I'd appreciate it. So that little bit of validation made me feel good. And it got me thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't quit just yet. And some friends reached out and, and perfect strangers too and told me, you shouldn't quit. We like the show. So then I began to feel like, you know, I should put a little more effort in and see what happens. But the universe uh, didn't stop there. Oh, no. Uh, the universe threw me another bone. And uh, a few weeks back, uh, I got just totally out of the blue an email um, for an audition in Los Angeles, California. And I was really sad at this time. My mom had flown out to Toronto and she was helping me put my life back together. And um, I was taking spin classes and riding my bike in the dark with, you know, techno music playing and me kind of secretly crying at the back of the room while on a bike. That's kind of the low place I was in when I received this uh, audition email. And it was to audition for the TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? And I mean, for any person who spent a large part of their career improvising, that is uh, a huge honor and opportunity. So I was all excited and um, allowed myself to get way too, uh, you know, way, way too excited, just crazy. Um, so I was very excited about this, but I needed to be excited about something. Generally speaking, most actors know that you shouldn't get carried away with your fantasies when it comes to having an audition because our business is just mostly rejection. So don't get too excited. You'll get hurt. But you know what? I needed this. The universe needed me to be excited about something even a long shot. And so in spite of, um, you know, my more skeptical, intelligent thoughts, I decided not to be a realist and just open my heart to the possibility that maybe I'd be one of those people on whose line is it anyway. So I, you know, bought a ticket and flew to Los Angeles and put myself up at an Airbnb and also stayed with friends, and I was there for four days, and, you know, it was just a nice little break from being a heartbroken mess, and uh, a nice little break from not understanding where my life was going, because uh, it created the illusion that maybe it could go in that direction. Who knew? Uh, so I went to Los Angeles, and 
Oh my God, you guys should have seen me. I was just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and uh, such a tourist. I, Even though it's um, winter for them and it was raining the entire trip, I didn't care. I waxed my legs before leaving. I only brought skirts on the trip. And everywhere I went, people would ask me if I was cold because they just couldn't understand why I wasn't wearing pants. But I didn't care. I almost went to the beach. You know, I made friends with every single person that spoke to me. The cab driver that picked me up at the airport and drove me to my Airbnb. Lovely gentleman. I think he might have been in his 50s. He said he was from Lebanon originally and we just talked and every time he told a bad joke I laughed and laughed and laughed and you know he told me all the celebrities that had been in in his cab before and um, he you know complained about the rain and I made fun of him in fun charming ways and we just had a great time And this is how open and stupid I was, guys. Like, as soon as he took me to my Airbnb from the airport, he turned to me and asked me if I would uh, like to go for lunch right at that moment. Which, um, you know, they tell young women that you don't just randomly go for lunch with your cab driver. You know, he asked me, you know, if, if he could buy me some chicken. And you know what? I was in such a positive, like, yes, Hollywood state that I was like, yes, buy me chicken. Um, We ended up instead going to a Starbucks. And when we got out of the car, I I realized that uh, he may have thought it was a date, which um, it wasn't. Uh, But I let him buy me a bagel and we had a lovely conversation and he told me about the civil war in his country and that was uh, upsetting but otherwise he was a very nice man and then he took me back to my airbnb and the rest of the trip i just i just kept beaming with positivity that i don't know where the positivity was coming from it was unwarranted positivity but i was pulling it out of every part of myself you know every person on Hollywood Boulevard had a conversation with me because I don't know how to not make eye contact. Anyways, I did the audition and I biffed it. It didn't go well. And I ran into a bunch of people I knew at the audition and realized quite quickly that I was not special. But I still felt special, even though I totally messed it up and I didn't do my best and I I I didn't get a call back. I kind of stunk, but I don't really feel bad about it, strangely enough, because I just feel like it was an honor even to have been asked to participate. So uh, that was wonderful. And I saw friends and and um, caught up with a lot of great, wonderful Canadians that are living in Los Angeles. And that is what inspired the episode you're listening to right now. You know, as you know, this show is usually uh, guests coming on telling stories that revolve around a theme. But this time around, I decided to do something a little different. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking with the format right now because I can. So uh, for this episode, it's going to be more of an interview-based episode. I have 
three guests on the show. And uh, all three of those guests are comedy writers who are Canadians who live and work in Los Angeles. And so I got to interview these three amazing men and pick their brain about what it's like to write comedy for a living and to work on these big American shows that every comedy nerd loves. So I interviewed um, Tim Long, uh, who writes for The Simpsons and used to write for Letterman. I interviewed Norm Hiscock, who uh, has a whole bunch of credits that I'll list in the interview, but one that I forgot to list is that he also wrote on People of Earth. I can't believe I forgot to mention that. But he's he's written on everything else, too, like SNL, uh, Parks and Recreation, um, you know, King of the Hill. I name it all in the interview. He's amazing. It was wonderful. And I also interviewed Levi McDougall, who is a writer on Conan right now. So basically, if you're a big comedy nerd, this episode's going to give you like a big comedy boner. Yeah, so stay tuned. Okay, so now it's that time, time for the quote of the episode. This episode's quote is by a very funny man who uh, we will talk about later in the episode. But the quote itself is, is not funny. It's actually just straight up inspirational. And uh, I'm really relating to it right now. It's by Conan O'Brien, and the quote is, I hate cynicism. For the record, it's my least favorite quality, and it doesn't lead anywhere. Nobody in life gets exactly what they thought they were going to get. But if you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. That's just nice. That's just good advice. So, uh, you know. There are funnier things Conan O'Brien has said, but uh, that one is, is, is piercing my heart at the moment. So I had to throw it in. Okay, let's just uh, jump into the first interview of our three interviews. Um, my first guest is Tim Long. Uh, hello, I'm with Tim Long. Hi. Hi there, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, it's so funny that even when I say, hi there, how are you, everyone cracks up. Yes, I, I, I'm giving you a lot of laughs because yes. I'm nervous. You're nervous? I'm sure what you're, you're funny about? too, but I'm just... I'm, ner- not that, I'm not that funny. I'm... Oh. Yes. Uh-oh. It's going to be a very dirge-like interview. Oh, great. Yeah. Good. Funereal. Oh, oh good. That's <laughs> yes. what we're looking for. That's nice. Uh, nice emotional... Emotionally glacial vibe. If we're not weeping at the end of this, then I will not have done my job correctly. Perfect. Okay, so you're going to be the most serious one we have. Absolutely. Uh, We're on a... a Where are we? We're in your car. Yes. Because it's great for sound. Yes. And where are we? We are in West Hollywood. Uh, You and I just ate giant pancakes. Giant pancakes. The world's biggest pancakes. So big. Yes. Uh, At a place called The Griddle. Yes. Uh, A place where you didn't really see it this morning. I mean, it was pretty packed. It was packed. But like... Normally, it's a place where like hot young actors and actresses show up in their pajamas and attempt to win breakfast. 
Oh, wow. They win by, like, preening and looking like it's a scene. On the weekend. Yeah, on the just weekend. Just hammered or, like, hungover. And... No, they're just, like, I think that, and they and standing in line, like, you have to stand in line for, like, 90 minutes, and that's part of the ritual. Wow. And I'm not down for that. No, no. So we just got a lot of um, pancakes, and it was great. Yes. And you are um, another person who is a comedy writer who is Canadian. Yes. Who lives in... Los, Los Angeles. Los yeah. Angeles. Hollywood. Yes. Hollywood. Yes. yes. Uh, where are you from in Canada? I'm from a little town. I was born in Brandon, Manitoba. Oh. Uh, but I moved when I was one or two, and then I grew up the rest of the time in Exeter, Ontario. Okay. Which is uh, about 45 minutes north of London. Okay, wow. And now you're here. Now I'm in L.A. And No uh, difference between Exeter, Ontario and Los Angeles. Yeah, they're so similar. Yes. Uh, um, so let's just say all the amazing things you've done and embarrass you. Yes. Uh, you are currently a writer on The Simpsons. I'm a writer, producer on The Simpsons, and I've been there forever. How long? 20 years. You've been on The Simpsons 20 years? Yes, I'm part-time now. I'm three days a week, but I was, yeah, I've been on The Simpsons. 20 both. years? 20 years, yeah. Jeez. You haven't even been alive 20 years. You're so sweet. Actually, you're what you're. Uh, this is like one of Canada's greatest teenage comedy podcasts. <laughs> yes, it's really great. You have to go to brownies after this. I do. <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I'm gonna sell some thin mints. Thin up mints, the street yes, exactly. After this. I know. Yeah, you're um, multitasking. <laughs> and okay, other credits you've done. You said Letterman. I was at Letterman for three years. Whoa, as was, a writer. I was a writer, and then I was a head writer for a year. You're a head writer. Yeah. Oh, he's whoa. Bossy. And then before that, I'm not that bossy. Maybe that was a problem. And before that, I was with Bill Maher. I worked on his old show, Politically Incorrect. Oh. Is that the one that ended when he said the thing after? You have to be more specific. He's always saying the thing <laughs> after the thing. I'm afraid. He'll say things after 9-11. He'll say That's things. That's what He's I mean. Did he get that one? Every, you know, they, he has a new show called Real Time. Yes, and like sir. one of the, my favorite things is a Saturday morning to check Deadline Hollywood to see what provocative thing he said that people are mad about. Right. But it was the one that after 9-11... I think he was, did. I think so, yeah. It was that show. Okay. It was that show, yeah. Wow, okay. And uh, any any other things? Um, well, I uh, I wrote for magazines for a while. When I first came down, I was actually a magazine writer. Uh, I worked at the University of Toronto Varsity newspaper. Oh! Uh, that's one of my first credits. We should have opened with that. We should open with that, absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, I um, What did I do? And I'm working on various other things now. So, yeah, I yeah, like to work. good for you. I like the comedy. Obviously, um, you must have figured out at a young age that you were funny or that you had a mind for... I haven't figured out either of those things yet. Okay, great. So you're a fraud. <laughs> I'm a fraud. Uh, but, like, when did you realize I just comedy knew, was your I think when thing? I was a kid, I just knew that that was something I could do or I could at least fake. I started a humor newspaper when I was in high school. Oh. Not thinking that it was going to remunerate me at all, but it's just something I wanted to do. It sadly died after I left. Um, I just always loved funny writing. And yeah. I loved, uh, like, funny books. And, like, I remember reading, like, of course, he's disgraced now, but, like, Woody Allen had all these great collections mm -hmm. of short humor pieces that I just thought were, like, magically wonderful. Right. Um, and probably still are, despite the many yes. valid accusations against you, him. You and I could talk about separating the art from the artist forever. Yeah, people have to do that with me because I'm a terrible person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I've no, had to separate so much stuff. So much stuff. Right. So much you saw your... me shoplift today. Oh, yeah. You saw me yell at a lady. He yelled at a lady. <laughs> she was just trying to cross the street. Yeah, I don't it was know so why mean. did that. Yeah. 
Um, of course I'm kidding. I didn't do any of those <laughs> things. He didn't do any of that. Knows, he was yeah. fine. I'm not like Liam Neeson. Right now, as we're speaking, Liam Neeson is in the middle of this big controversy. Have you heard about this? This is the second time today you brought up Liam Neeson, and I don't know what's going on. Well, Liam Neeson... Oh, this is actually really... I'm not even going to bring it up. People who are listening will know what I'm talking about. He said some kind of racist things. Oh. Or he said that he admitted to racist thoughts and actions. He and, admitted to racist thoughts. Okay, so I'm okay. going to give you the very bare... This could derail our comedy interview. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Liam Neeson... You said you'd get dramatic. He said he had a friend who had a crime committed against her by a black person. And then he said that for a while he wanted to just go out and kill a black person. He said that? And he was like... You can't say something! He said something. it out loud. That's or beat up a... Up and then he was like, say. oh, but then I realized that was a bad idea. Oh, but Jesus. he was like... And he kind of wanted credit for saying that. Like, I realized that my random act of racial violence would not be a good idea. Everyone should think I'm great. Oh, no. Yeah, so that was that's really That's not bad. a thing you say. Yes, or was, think. Or think or a, do. That's it was or really, do. Yeah, it was a really bad idea. Wow, that was so much worse. I was like, what are you going to say about Liam Neeson? Yeah. I was not taxes. expecting yeah. that <laughs> no, story. No, it's a big deal. Yeah. And I don't know how it's all going to shake out. Oh, man. I they canceled know. the premiere of his movie. I heard that. I heard that. Because but I didn't know why. Yeah. And uh, Okay. So, Liam Neeson, not coming on the podcast... Rescind the invitation. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. okay. You should, you should, uh, you should like, resend... I mean, get rid of that evite that you sent to his email address. <laughs> yes, I use evites for this. <laughs> yes. Um, so, back to what we were saying, because, wow, what a segue uh, into something else. How did you get to Los Angeles? Like, what was the stepping well, stone? Well, I... Uh, okay, so... Or I, I went, guess right I went from, from, from Canada. From did... Canada. Okay, so I was in Exeter, and then I went to school at the University of Toronto, and I thought, well, I need an extra... It's a big forbidding university I thought well in addition to my studies I need to do something fun so I joined the newspaper and did very well there I became one of the editors at the varsity and I wrote a funny column because I didn't like journalism at all uh-huh. and uh, then I went from there and then people at the varsity were applying for jobs at like the Globe and Mail and places like that and I was like I don't want to do that so I applied to be an intern at this place called Spy Magazine in New York. It was started by this Canadian guy named Graydon Carter. Okay. And I did that for a couple summers, and that was great. And then I... It just so happened the people I work with, some of them were working for, like, Bill Maher and other places after the magazine folded. So I got a job writing for Bill Maher. I somehow wrangled a visa to live in the States. How old were you at this time? 23, maybe. Oh, my God. And then I worked for him for a year or two, and then I got it, and then I submitted a packet to Letterman, and I got hired there. Oh my god! And I was there for three. Now, when you got hired, how did you feel? Like, what what was the moment? I felt very nervous. I got a call saying, uh, "Come on in, Dave wants to meet you." Oh my god! And it was like, holy shit! Look at that, because he'd been my hero growing up. Sure. And so I went and met him, and he was very—he was like in sweatpants and a t-shirt and a weird hat. Like, oh, you gross. Know, but he's, not in a, he's not in a suit all the time, right? <laughs> That's all I, I picture him sleeping have you never in been, a Have suit. you never been in sweatpants and a t-shirt? It's like, <laughs> he was just being comfortable. I'm just being silly. And he it's was fine. like, hello, Tim. He, like, always talked really... It was like, he had a funny thing that he would talk to you as if you were across the room, even though he was, like, a foot away from you. That's funny. And so he's like, hello, Tim Long. Nice to meet you. Oh, okay. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm nice to meet you, too. And I shook his hand. And we had a just friendly. And then... I think it was just, but I feel like it's one of those jobs where once you meet the host, you're kind of like, unless you do something really bad, then yeah. you're going to be fine. So you were fine. I think I was fine. But then I waited a little bit. They didn't hire me for a few months, and then I got hired, and then I was there, and then I decided, I've got to get out of here because those nightly shows are a grind. 
Oh, really? And so people you... I knew were at The Simpsons, so they they said, you should come work for The Simpsons. I was like, okay. What? Someone just said you should just come? Well, I knew people, and I'd been yeah. the head writer. By that point, I was a head writer at Letterman's, and there was just this sort of tradition of head writers of Letterman going to The Simpsons. Oh, okay. So I flew out to L.A., and I talked to the guy who was running The Simpsons at the time, this guy named Mike Scully. Oh, yeah. Really good guy. And he and I went to Coogie's, which is a fun What's little that? mid-range restaurant in Malibu. Okay. So I put on a suit. And I, everyone else was in flip-flop. I was like, my dad, whenever I had interviews, he would always ask certain questions. He goes, well, you're going to wear a suit of clothes, right? Like, he's sort of yeah. old school. And I'm like, I think it'd be super weird if I wore a suit of clothes. Like, if I wore a suit to this Hollywood interview where everyone's right. super. But I did wear a suit of clothes, no tie. But I suit go Suit of clothes is a weird It's the funniest phrase term. in the world. I I've never it. heard it. But really? Okay, like, yeah. no, that suit of clothes, because it's like, it's that's the original term. It's just been shortened to suit. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay, you see, this is informative. I'm learning a lot. You've okay. also said words I've never heard in this interview. You're, really? You're a very intelligent man. Like what? Like what word? I forget what word, but you used a word, and I went, I've never heard that word in my life. What if I just made it up? I could be <laughs> you faking could, it. You I could. You could. You could be a guy in a rental car just sitting somewhere who First doesn't all, work for the Simpsons. this is not a rental car. It's a leased car. I don't own it, but I lease it. <laughs> I, think it's a, I think it's just an important distinction. I don't know what's going to happen. You could have been just a, a random guy that I went could for be. pancakes right. with me. Absolutely. It may be that the real Tim Long is back in the coffee bean. I mean, like, she stood me up. And I just, like, swooped in, and I've been fake. I'm like this guy who's been oh, faking it. Oh, I'm scared. You probably shouldn't be scared. Don't worry. The, the, it's, oh, no, the doors are locked. You this is get, scary. Well, here, <laughs> you can leave any time. That was the sound of the locks unlocking. <laughs> Okay. Anyways, so I don't want to make jokes about me being a violent psychopathic stranger, <laughs> but the fact is I might be. So you should I mean, make a run for it. We all might be. We're all just. I don't see. We're I all one bad decision true. away from everything a, falling you apart. You could be like a black dahlia. You could be like trying to kill me. You could oh, be no, slowly. I don't kill you if I'm the black dahlia. I oh, that's die. right. <laughs> I feel like I did. I mixed that up. No, she. Well, really? Yeah. Okay. She, she, she had a very gruesome. Who are the awful... Who are the great female murderers? Then Eileen Warnos, the, who Charlene Theron played. She was. I guess the... uh, Carla Homoka, I suppose. <laughs> God. <laughs> is this where we're going? I think this is where we're you going. You want me Maybe to you... name ladies or, or famous black widow murderers? Yeah, who are they? I forget their names, but they, they're... Okay, so there's women. This nice. is a field in which women have achieved. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what, though? We're what? still not on par with men in that I know, field. I know. Like, absolutely. We haven't had our yeah. moment. Yeah, female serial killers are paid only 75 cents per dollar that the, <laughs> that the male murderers true. are given. Yeah. So... You got all these great jobs. Uh-huh. Everything worked out. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, oh, with the pain I felt emotionally. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, do you ever have moments where you're like, oh, wow, my dreams came true? I do. I do. And I'm very, very grateful. And I work hard to enjoy them because I have a bad case of not enjoying things. Oh, I think we all do. Yeah. You get, you, you, you're in severe pain because uh, you don't have something. And sure. so you work like crazy and you think and you strive and you suffer and you're like, I think I need to have that more than anything. And then you get it. And then mm-hmm. if you're not a healthy person, you then immediately be like, I don't even know if I want this. And then you start thinking about something else that you want. Well, it's what? all ego stuff, right? I don't you're know. fighting with your ego. Like, I don't know. The ego wants more, more, more. More, more, more. But I think I've tried more recently to uh, just enjoy things more. And yeah. like when you get something... Like, I recently, um, it looks like I'm going to shoot a movie Ooh. in Canada, actually. <gasps> oh. uh, 
in a few weeks, actually, I'm going to be up in Ottawa. Oh, exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And I was something I worked really hard at, and it looked like it might not happen, and now it looks like it will happen. And I sometimes think to myself, and and I, I was upset when I didn't think it was going to happen, and then when it did happen, I was upset because I thought of all the things that I would have to do to make it happen. And then I thought, that's really bad. You mm-hmm. need to enjoy. If there's something you want and you get it, take five minutes and enjoy it, goddammit. Okay, I want to ask you this, because some big things did happen for you, and you have to have a certain level of confidence or belief in yourself to maybe manifest that into your life. Um, Do you feel like, are you someone who's really hard on themselves, or like constantly self-critical, or are you, did you believe in yourself that you thought this could happen? I did, actually. I felt like, I think I am hard on myself. I think I've gotten less hard on myself, just because... I just want to have the attitude that will lead to me doing well. And sometimes I feel like being a little critical of yourself is good, mm-hmm. but it can also be a little paralyzing. Yeah. I'm very forgiving of myself when I need to be. Like, if I'm writing something, I give myself, uh, when I start and I'm looking at a blank screen, I give myself license to create something that's horrible. Like, that's, I think it's wow. really important to draw to write something awful and then work on it and make it better. Right. Like, just... It's a gross term, but people call it the vomit pass. And then you, because you vomit something up. And like I wrote the draft of this movie like really fast and it was so bad. You just got to take my word for it. It was so bad. Okay. And then I worked on it. And then what was funny is the producers I was working with, they were like, just write the bad version and we'll look at it. And, and they're like, write it really fast. We know it's going to be terrible. And then I sent it to them and they're like, wow, this is terrible. And I was like, wow. what's wrong with you? That was a total bait and switch. I think that's sort of just human nature. Yeah. But I think that yeah, you got to you got to just be nice to yourself a little bit. And then occasionally you have to like ride yourself to do to perform or to do something sure. great. But you got to be careful because otherwise you burn out. If you're just constantly whipping yourself, then you will you'll, crash you'll, and burn. you'll crash and burn and you'll turn to drugs or something. Oh boy. Is there kind of like a way that the people in the writing room talk about I don't know, jokes that they worry might offend someone or go too far. Like, is there, like, a policy or a way everyone kind of you, talks about that stuff? You, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I think there, there uh, a colleague of mine named Matt Selman, he has a phrase that he often invokes when something is a little too edgy, and that is, what's the upside? Like, right. is this joke so funny that you risk offending a whole group of people because I've I've seen that happen a few times where you make a joke maybe you didn't intend it to be a joke about a particular group or about a particular mm-hmm. person but it sparks a certain controversy sure and it's not fun like no. it's and you find your and if someone says we're really hurt we're a I mean I really am very careful about this but I've seen shows that have made like racially insensitive remarks or whatever yeah. or or said something like sexist and gross or insensitive that's not that funny and then there's a protest and stuff. And then even if it's not me, I feel sick to my stomach because it, they should have known. And there's yeah. and there's always another joke, right? Like if you okay, can there's, top it with something. Yeah, better. there's there's yeah. this joke. Like people will be like, yeah, people, this will be upsetting, and we might get in trouble for it. But it's so funny. And I always say like, is it, is it <laughs> that funny that we want to get in trouble for this? And plus, I mean, there's just a general policy I have that you punch down no you punch up <laughs> punch up <laughs> i do a lot of punching down i when i think oh, of a, any aggrieved group i just want to make jokes about them no i don't want to do that i i mix them up you you want to punch up because you want to punch up at the powerful and the 
and people who deserve it. Yeah. And, you know, like, people who've had a hard time, whether it's any particular demographic group or, or someone who's been victimized, like, don't do that. Like, just don't do it. What you're saying is... You find, you know, you're finally giving it to Liam Neeson. I'm giving it to Liam Neeson. You know, I do feel a little weird about that. I spent a wonderful afternoon with him once. Really? Yeah, because he did The Simpsons, and so I flew to New York and I recorded him, and I have to say he was very nice. I'm sure he is. But this is this stuff that came out is not good. No, it's not good. Although you're just learning about it, you may just, I may have just be spinning it. I may have a serious anti-Liam Neeson agenda here. You don't know that. I (laughs) do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe you have that much time on your hands. I, I have don't, so I don't much know time, what's yes. going on yes. with you. Okay, Tim, um, <laughs> this wouldn't be a, a good interview unless I asked about celebrities. Okay. Uh, funny experiences with celebrities. You get lots of guest stars on The Simpsons, yes. for example. Anything you'd like to share? Well, I've had some the experience of directing a lot of stars. I'm directing Jason Momoa on Thursday. Oh, that's the Aquaman. Buff dude? That's Buff yeah. Aquaman. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And uh, but I like it when I like doing interviewing. And I told you I interviewed Tom Hanks, but not for The Simpsons, and he was very nice. Uh, but I did, it, just like weird celebrities. Like I recorded Mr. T once. Oh wow! You know Mr. T, right? Yes, I do. So, you think I'm like a baby? Well, like you are little, kind I'm of a like baby. like a toddler right. interviewing you. Well, just for the record, people can't see this, but she's literally in an incubator. <laughs> I'm a in an incubator. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wearing a diaper. She's right now. She is, yeah. Um, that's just her thing. So <laughs> I interviewed, so I, Mr. T came on the show, and I was really excited because when I was growing up, I'm a few years older than you are, I, I loved Mr. T so much. And so when he came in, I was more excited than when I, you know, when I directed much more famous people but he came in and he's just like what exactly what you want to be want him to be he's dressed up like mr t and i said mr t i just think you're amazing uh what? i've That's loved you, you since I was, yeah i people can attest to this <laughs> and like later on people were like oh you know a lot about mr t because i kept throwing facts at him yeah i was like i remember when you were you had a, he had a song called mr t's commandments that i mean he was so big and he heard that to mean please sing mr t's commandments so he did Oh my god. And it was god. about like honoring your mother and and all this stuff and I sang it with him cuz I knew all the words. Tim, there are so many amazing celebrities that were on that show and you're going with Mr. T. Right totally, now. because I have another funny story about Mr. T. Because <laughs> as when we finished up the interview, I said, "You know, I just want you to know I I've loved you ever since I saw you in the movie Rocky 3." And he goes, "You know that they paid me to lose in that." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "I lost at the end because uh, my, mo- my my character's mother needed an operation, and so they paid for the operation in agreement for me to lose. And I said, I don't remember that in the movie. And he goes, scenes you don't see. He made up this whole backstory for his character to lose to Rocky because he couldn't he couldn't accept the idea that he just lost. It, it, he didn't run that by anyone. That's no, just, he just his own a, character he secret. Made, yeah, character secret. And I said, but like, was it in the script? And he goes, scenes you don't see. <laughs> I was like, so you just made it up. He goes, it's a scene you don't see. And I was like, okay, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, anybody else? Justin Timberlake. Oh, wow. When he was still in NSYNC. Oh, wow. Yeah, This I've been on The Simpsons so long that I wrote an episode of The Simpsons when they were still together. It was a show where Bart and Milhouse were, um, formed a boy band together. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, they were, I would have they were been called the party perfect posse. age for that. Yes, yeah. you were probably a big NSYNC fan, right? I mean, yeah, I, yeah, was, well, I was in their demo. So. You were in their demo, so I didn't know. I was already like an adult, and so like I, I didn't know how they would talk. So I wrote all this nonsense where he would be like, 
hey, Justin, let's go to the concert. And then he was like, word. Oh, no. So he's like, but then Justin Timberlake says, I wouldn't say word. That's whack. And I was like, you said, and I was like, but, and I, but I was really nervous. So I was like, they're going to, I'm going to get in trouble if you don't just say it once. He goes, I'm not saying it. And I was like, just, he said he wasn't going to yeah. say word. I was like, just say word. And then, so he goes, okay, fine. Cause he's a nice guy. And he goes, word. And he says oh, it in really, no. in this really funny way. And then, and then I was like, thank God. And then it went, the rest of it went great. But then I, when I was in the editing suite, it sounded so funny when he said word <laughs> that I can't, I put it in a couple other places. So in the show, he says it like seven times, like scenes he's not even in. He sticks his head in the window and goes word. And for no reason. And it's so funny. That's great. And I feel like if I ever met him, I'd have to give him a wide berth because he might be mad about that. No, that's amazing. Yeah. He needs to get over that. I think so, too. Oh, my goodness. It didn't slow him down. No, he's done fine. I think so, yeah. I think yeah. he's going to be okay. I don't know. Are any of us going to be okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> I love how we're going to go existential at the end yeah. of this. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you for doing this my podcast. This was so my pleasure to do your podcast. It was lovely. Yes. I, I mean, and we really had a great heart-to-heart. We did, we, we actually. Had, like, we, had we had pancakes, and we talked about life in a real way. It was I not know. a show-busy breakfast. It was not a show-busy breakfast. Yeah, I feel like it was really uh, a really nice conversation, and I'm really glad that we got a chance to do this. Okay, <laughs> thank you for being on my show. Okay, so this is uh, Lindsay Mullen and Norm Hiscock. And right now we are in um, the most magical place on earth. We're in we're in Hollywood. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> we're in Hollywood, right at Hollywood and Vine. Yeah. You said, yeah. So we're in actually in Norm Hiscock's uh, car, <laughs> parked in a parkade. Yeah. In in the most magical place on earth. Yes. It rained today. <laughs> it rained in the most magical yeah, yeah. place on earth, but it's still beautiful. If you're wondering who Norm uh, Hiscock is, then you need to grow the fuck up, okay? Because he's great. Uh, Norm is uh, my comedy fellow that I'm interviewing right now. He's a writer, and uh, he... I'm going to list off your okay. credits, okay, Norm? I'm going to embarrass right. you, and it's going to be okay. Right. I'll go for a walk. You list off the credits. <laughs> Okay, great, great. Um, so he was the head writer on Kids in the Hall. Ooh, mm-hmm. all the all the comedy nerds love that. Uh, we got uh, you were on King of the Hill as a co-executive producer and writer. You were on Parks and Rec as a producer and writer. Oh my God! You worked on SNL as yes. a writer. Yep. Oh man. And then on Brooklyn Nine Nine, you were a consulting producer. Writer. I and that's a writer. Yeah. See, I didn't know what that was, <laughs> but it sounded important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's very important. You did a lot of stuff. I have. I've been very lucky. Oh my! It's not just luck. Well, a little bit of luck. You're okay. <laughs> See, now if you're listening at home, what you're hearing right now is how Canadian Norm is. He's very <laughs> modest and nice. Um, so tell me, how did? How did this happen for you? How did you get into comedy writing? Uh, I guess I didn't. I always thought I wanted to do something creative. I didn't know what. I thought maybe acting. Mm-hmm. And then when I... Uh, and I thought maybe filmmaking or something like that. So when I moved to uh, Newfoundland, I met Mark McKinney. And From Kids in the Hall, Kids yeah. Kids in the Hall. And we started doing comedy sketches on the radio. They are very bad. And... <laughs> And I was also DJing at the radio station there, too. I thought, maybe I want to be a DJ. Hear that? That's L.A. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Guys, right now, <laughs> there is some sort of car chase happening. 
<laughs> this is legit. Magical. This is this is this is what what showbiz is. You're in a parked car and you're trying to make it work. Okay. Oh yeah. So we just did uh, sketches, and then uh, Mark moved to Calgary, and then I ended up moving to Calgary, and then. Because um, you're originally from Newfoundland. I, I my dad was originally from Newfoundland. We we're originally from Montreal. Okay. But we moved back to Newfoundland because my dad got a job there, and I went to university there, and that's where I met Mark. And then Mark moved, and then I ended up moving to Calgary. It just happened I moved there as well. And then uh, he got me a job at uh, his piano warehouse. He's working at a piano warehouse, and we refinishing pianos. Okay, and, wow. And then I met someone there who this said... This is the craziest way into comedy <laughs> I've ever heard. Yeah. Someone there said, I, 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 always, I always thought I'd like to do improvising, but I didn't know what... Like, it just seemed like something I wanted to do. I didn't know exactly what it was. He said, well, this guy who worked there said go see uh, theater sports. So I went down to the university in the old days. They used to do theater sports at the university. and just University put on, of Calgary. Yeah, yeah, put on shows. And so I went down there. I really liked it. I went back and I told Mark, and I said, we should check it out. And we went down and saw a show, and I went up on stage. They asked for an audience member, and I went down. Oh, you went down as yeah. an audience member. And I didn't face the audience. I was, <laughs> I didn't know enough. Norman, to know that's that what, I, that's I know. what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so uh, Keith Johnson at the end said, oh, you were very funny, but we couldn't see you because you were <laughs> facing the audience. He said, so you have to turn to face the audience. I said, oh, yeah, 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 I guess I should do that. But Mark said, yeah, let's do this. And we started a two-man team. It was just Mark and I. And then I met a whole bunch of other people there. Now, you're somebody. Bruce. Bruce McCullough, yeah, yeah. yeah all these people. Yeah. And that's gets Andrew. Just, Yes, yes, Andrew Pierce. Yes. And this uh, got you into the world of comedy and thinking, oh, I, I think I like this. I could do this. Yeah, I was also taking film at the SAIT. Yes. So I was doing that as well. So I was kind of not sure if I wanted to be a filmmaker or if I wanted to do... <laughs> right, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so when they we, we did the late night comedy show there that's, and it ended up selling out. Whoa. We were sort of write but we didn't fully write sketches we kind of come up with premises and then improvise them mm. and then do a full show very long indulgent shows they were like 90 minutes long with right. stand-up bits it was like a variety show music right. and wow okay so i have to ask because you seem like um and you are a writer now yes. more than performer um was there a point when you were younger, that you liked to get laughs? Were you a class clown? Were you someone like yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, there was, a, I had always try and get laughs in the classroom. Um, my, uh, but there were two guys in high school that were very funny that I remember, and then talking about comedy with them. So it was like Monty Python or Steve Martin. Mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, I like these people. I like, and we could talk comedy, and I just liked being around those people. I, that was probably the beginning of me realizing. Well, that could be fun, too. And one of my friends who was a stand-up, he passed away, Sean Keane. He was oh. in Montreal, but he had a heart attack <laughs> oh. <laughs> at 50. Oh, God. Yeah, so it's pretty funny, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're smiling so big. I know. <laughs> As I was this telling a, the story. took a turn. As I was telling the story, I realized, oh, yeah, he dies. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, rest in peace. But he told me about a guy that rode in Hollywood and made good money. I went, oh, you can do that. That like that was the first time I thought, oh, you could do that it for a living. Yeah. To you. Wow. Okay. So, 
you eventually you work with the kids in the hall before they're the kids in the hall. Yes. And they eventually become the kids in the hall, yes. and they go to Toronto. Yes, they and went to Toronto, and they asked. I was supposed to go along, but I was getting married, and I was I had to finish my film course, so I didn't go with them. You're romantic. Is I what was you're a saying. romantic. Yes. You're a very romantic man. Yes. Yes. That's nice. I like this story. Uh, you know, everybody in comedy I ever met, all the boys, they they, they would have picked the job over getting married. <laughs> well, it ended up working out. I moved to Toronto and I was working in TV. I was a TV cameraman and then they did the show um, and then they got picked up for a season and my wife, uh, who was a producer, she she was in the same film course. She produced for uh, commercials and she didn't want to work in commercials anymore. So I told her about the kids in the hall being picked up and she got the job. They knew her, right? Oh my God, it's so perfect. And then so when they, at the end of the first year, they kind of ran out of material they used up all their material for 20 shows mm. um they needed writers so i ended up going my god okay wow um so you worked with the kids in the hall you eventually were the head writer on that show for the last two seasons yeah. and um it, you know that's where you cut your teeth in in writing and stuff um what was the best part of the process of working on that show for you creatively like what what did you really get out of that that you didn't get from other shows that you later went on to work? Yeah, it's looking backwards a little bit. It's like the when I was there, I didn't realize how much freedom we had, and that that the the voice of the show was really the the guys, and that they people said, oh, I guess the kids like this crazy sketch show, and they just put it on the air, but no one knew what made it work. Or why it was funny, really, the people who were just put it on. They mm -hmm. said, someone likes it, I guess we should put it on. So we had the freedom just to do and write whatever we wanted. And I was writing with friends, so it was kind yeah. of fun. And then you could always just have an idea for Scott or for Bruce or for Kevin or for Dave. And then you go over and sit down and write with them. And then you're putting it on and it was getting done there was so much freedom there was no one no notes no one said oh uh, this sketch doesn't make sense or <laughs> like we just put it on wow yeah and how old were you when this was all happening i was 28 i think wow yeah that's 20, so yeah. exciting no now at the time when you were making it because now it, it's it's very much obviously a, a cult hit and and generations of comedy people love that show did you feel like you were making something really special at the time that you felt could you know be evergreen and funny later on in the uh, future because you I, watch it now it's still very like well that's the guys i have to say that they always they, they stayed away from parody they didn't want to do anything like that right because uh sctv kind of did it right so they were doing parodies of tv shows and so that was their territory and they didn't want to do uh, anything topical like in the news, they mm -hmm. stayed away from that. So they just did stuff about relationships and girlfriends and work. And absurd stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was all crazy, but it was all life stuff. It was all, uh, you know, things you recognized, you know, relatable. Right. So how did you get to SNL <laughs> from Kids in the Hall? Well, Lauren Michaels produced Kids in the Hall, oh. and then he was looking for writers, and he asked Mark to come over. And I met uh, Lauren a couple of times, and they were looking for writers, and they asked me if I wanted to join. And I was looking for work after Kids in the Hall finished. We were doing the movie, too, writing uh, Brain oh, Candy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that I was just looking for work. And so, and I had a chance to go to New York and then work in New York, so I took it. Okay, when Lauren Michaels asked you to, yeah. to, to write, did, did you have a little, like, 
girly, excited fit on the inside. Like, oh, like I yeah, but also fear of like. <laughs> Like going to New York and working on it was like the show was big. It's a big show. Yeah, it's huge. It has a lot of comedy history. So and we were doing a little show in in Toronto and writing up our crazy sketches. Yeah. So it was a different approach. Now uh, to writing. Every time I read or hear something about SNL, people maybe people are being over dramatic, but they always make it sound like. Uh, I don't know, like it's really dog eat dog or toxic or something. What was your experience? It's more like uh, every man for himself. You kind of have to figure it out. Yeah. No one's there sort of like saying, I'll show you the ropes, kid. There's no one doing that. (laughs) You have to kind of go through and go uh, watch how it's it's done, make mistakes, and then start figuring it out. And Mm -hmm. the show at the time that I went there was... In, in a bad place it was I think I told you this it was called Saturday Night Dead when we were when this... I arrived and there was an article <laughs> written about it and, and it was there were a lot of people it was a big transitional period uh, in the just show just so I know like what what years was this like what people were leaving and uh, what people were coming Chris in Chris Farley was still there and there was when I was there it was the last season with Chris Farley and Mike Myers and Adam Sandler oh my god yeah it was a lot of big names and uh, Kevin Nealon and oh. a lot of people and then the next year they a lot of those people left and then Will Ferrell came on and uh, Molly Shannon uh, like a lot of people there was the, wow. they just brought in a whole new cast Daryl Hammond everybody oh my God. yeah okay and uh, so like what is what was it like writing on that were you up all night was it very stressful and it's stressful because <laughs> you write a show in I saw a, flashbacks yeah, yeah. in your eyes just yeah now. I know it's because you write a show within a week yeah. so and I found and then you just you just kind of have to hunker down and do it and you write for two nights really because you have a read through I think it's on Wednesday then they choose something and then the next day um, you know you're producing a sketch if it gets chosen right and you're just right. you know, putting it up and then it airs Saturday night, and then it's over, and then the next week you're starting a new show. Okay. And it's a different host, and I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask you something, and you obviously don't have to answer. But from my experience, for example, when I was at Loose Moose Theater doing improv, um, I felt very at home. I felt like I could be myself. I felt like I was around family. When I went to Second City later, although it was a massive step in career, I often felt isolated and alienated or like it like it mattered or something and I would get really tense about it and terrified of being fired all the time so in some ways it was so exciting and challenging and made me a better performer but in other ways it also it was way less fun so I was curious what is SNL was it like how did it compare to kids in the hall for you uh well kids in the hall was just fun because I would, their friends. There's no real pressure. There's no, there's no pressure, right? Right. But you're, there's a bit of a pressure to perform. You want to have a sketch on every week if you can, or every other week, or and or be a part or feel like you're contributing. You know. Yeah. And that you most of the time, um, I was free to float at Kids in the Hall. I could write with whomever I wanted to. And then if I had an idea for Kevin, I thought I'll go to Kevin. If I had an idea for Bruce, I'll go to Bruce. Mm-hmm. And so I had the freedom to do that. At SNL, you kind of. There are little camps, and they start forming. Mm-hmm. And um, like when Chris Elliott was there the first year, I wanted to write with Chris Elliott. So that was really good. It was a nice match, and I really liked working with him. And Mark was there too. And 
um, Dave Keckner was there. Oh, yeah. And so I wrote with those guys. It was kind of fun. The second season was a big transitional season. And so um, I ended up writing a lot with Adam McKay. Uh, who, you oh, know, yeah, 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 yeah. Adam McKay is really oh. talented and uh, extremely funny and a force, uh, you know, yeah. on his own. So, uh, but I wrote a lot of sketches with him and we had like, like late night laughs. I remember laughing a lot with uh, Adam and then writing, thinking we wrote a really funny piece and getting laughs at the table, but them not being chosen because they were like idea pieces or yeah. premise pieces and people liked them. But there was sort of like a switch that year to um, go over to more like uh, character-driven pieces and write with uh, actors on the show and write pieces with them. So uh, that kind of fell apart. And, mm-hmm. um, but I really enjoyed that season in terms of writing with Adam. It was a lot of fun. Did, um, did the environment, I don't know, like different environments bring out different things. Did it find, do you find that you were your most confident self there or did you find that it brought out your most insecure side when you worked at SNL uh I think the second season for me was like um a a down season for me where I was like well do I want to be here but I'd written sketches now for five four seasons right Mm -hmm. I was writing the movie uh with the kids in the hall then I did another sketch a season of sketch and then I did one more season of sketch with the second season I went do I want to keep writing sketches that's when I started thinking about that and I went and then I uh I did one more year and I thought I'm just gonna make it a fun year I'm gonna go out have a fun year you can't see him right now (laughs) but he's doing a really fun gesture where he's moving his fist like I can do it kind of thing and I had a good year and I wrote a lot with Anna Gasteyer okay and I just that thing of writing with different people because that's what I like to do. Yeah. And I wrote with uh, sketches with Will and then the third season was a lot of fun. What's Will Ferrell like? Oh, he's great. He's the best. He's, I, he's yeah. as nice as they say? Yeah, yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Oh, okay. you know, I... He uh, was good to be around because the place could be crazy and he was just sort of reminded you that it was a crazy place and that we shouldn't take it so seriously. Like a, oh, Because wow. it's just madness, right? You're putting on a show in a week, so that feeds itself. It's a chill and, yeah. vibe. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. See, uh, listeners at home, you should know that I, I had dinner with Norm right before this, and you can't you can't get him to do anything bad. If you're getting to him to spill the tea or be saucy, it's not going to happen. He's a very nice person. You... Now, I know you didn't, you kind of rolled your eyes when I said you're a very nice person yes. before. Yes. You are known as being a very genuine, authentic, nice person, perhaps because, you know, we're surrounded in this business by a lot of, you know, false shark people. Um, how is it that you uh, find that you've stayed grounded uh, in spite of having such success? Uh, I, it's, for me, it was always about doing a job that I thought I could like doing. I'm picky. So mm-hmm. I, I, when I, King of the Hill, I just like the, um, uh, the family life. I, we, I knew about Mike Judge's work. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about Greg Daniels there, but I knew of him. Right. And Greg Foamy reached out to me. And then when I went there, I ended up like, I've worked a lot with Greg since then um, on Parks and Recreation. He brought right. me on. Yeah. And then Brooklyn Nine-Nine rolled over into What's that. What's he like? He's great. He's very precise. He's uh, like he has a real approach to writing. Um, he likes to have a room that's a mix. Yeah. He likes to mix up the room. Uh, I like that about him. He just he doesn't have it's 
for sure he thinks about the different things he would like to have in a room and what he thinks he would like to have in a show and what the writers can bring to it. Ooh. It's a writer-driven show for sure when you're with him. He, he, it's from the writers. So for all the people that are Parks and Rec fans, um, what can you tell me about the, the stars or the people that you've worked with on that show? Obviously you're not going to talk shit. No. But... <laughs> Can you tell me some interesting, specific things about those people that may, might make us go, huh. Well, I'll say this about the... I think as a writer, I was spoiled by that cast. They were so good. Yeah. That that you could be on set, and if there was something where you say someone was saying, I don't know about this line or something, you would go, you would throw things out. But it was always a, like a... a, a, a uh, free flowing. They could. They all were really good at improvising. They all really knew their characters really well. I felt like we were spoiled a little. Like sometimes yeah. that we relied on them to save the writer. Sometimes because right. <laughs> they would just improvise something. It could and it was in the moment and funnier than anything you could have written. So it's just being there on the day. And I like that. I like the, the idea that it, it, the the script never got boring at mm-hmm. any point. It always it could get funnier. Yeah. And they brought funny to it. Um, it was a nice match. I think we're, it's probably, other than the kids in the hall, the best cast I've ever worked with. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my. Everyone was close then, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was Amy. She was sort of like the den mom in a weird way. She would make sure, worry about all the actors and hmm. reach out and kind of worry about them and uh, think about, you know, them on set. And it, and she, she also knew, because, you know, uh, she knows everybody in the comedy world. Sure. Anytime we needed somebody, she would suggest casting, and uh, we'd get the funniest guest stars. And she knew people that wanted to be on the show. So wow, that's so good. Now, can you tell us one thing about that show, or maybe a person on that show, or the show itself that maybe we might find surprising? surprising. Something odd that only you would know if you were on the inside of it all. On the show? Yeah. Um. Surprising. I know that's that's a hard question. Um, a lot of people actually uh, like Amy wrote scripts for the show. Oh, really? Yeah, she wrote one of my favorite ones. The fight it was really good, and um, she always wrote good, good drafts. And then um, so that people may know she also directed on the show. Oh wow! Anybody Surprising. have any odd odd habits? Odd. I love like little things oh, about people that here's are just the like. Thing. Just I think the phone culture. I, this is the first time I noticed it on this show, but everybody is on their phones just before a take. All the actors. Oh. <laughs> they. I, I think at one. I think at one point they got told they couldn't do that anymore, and then they had to put their phones away. But it's a hard thing not to do, right? What you say, cut, and now you're moving lights. Everybody's on their phones. You heard it here first. <laughs> Something specific only to Parks and Rec. People now, have think, cell phones. I know. <laughs> but that's the first time I noticed it. <laughs> I was expecting something really now, like, you know who does a weird thing with uh, their hands when they talk? No, there was but nothing no. like that. <laughs> that's okay. I can't think of anything. They were a really uh, sweet group of people, and they really liked each other. That's nice. Yeah. That's really lucky, yeah. isn't that? Oh, that's good. Um Brooklyn Nine Nine. What was that cast like? 
Uh, oh, they, they were great too. I have to say, <laughs> he no, paused because he was like burping or something. No, was it burping. wasn't. It wasn't like a. No, oh, I, now I have to. <laughs> no, there was a great cast, and I like what I like about that. It was a very diverse cast, and it was a lot yeah. of women in the cast too. Yeah, I like. I have to say They're that. Pretty funny. I'll say that we had a lot of women in the writers' room at Parks and Rec too, which I really liked. Yes. Writing. Nice changing up the. Do you? Um, I mean, obviously, this is going to be. A gendered question. I'm curious. Do you find that it brings a different vibe to the room when women yeah. are in the room? Yes. I I mean, as much as I find it makes a difference in improvising, if it's all men or all women. It's chattier and looser. It's like, you know, I think guys are a little more intense in thinking about how to solve the... the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and try to figure out how to, how do we make it funnier. And, I think it's really yeah. serious yeah, it's and serious. Comedy is serious to guys. Yeah, that is a thing, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Whereas as women, it's like it's all part of the the fabric, you know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's I, I like that. That's good. Um, also, wanted to ask you. Uh, are, I mean, there's a stereotype about uh, comedians being uh, very sad or morose or depressed. I definitely think I feel that. Really? <laughs> that, oh, for sure. Yeah. It, Listen, the smile is big. The, the tears are bigger, Norm. Um, but, like, do, do you find that you're a, a, a sad clown? Uh, no. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't. I think I, 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 I've had sad times. Sure. I told you I'm a worrier. You're a worrier. I remember I was a kid and my, you know, my leg would... You just go, you know, jittering up and down. He's demonstrating yeah. it too. And then my mom would say, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I don't know. I'm just thinking." She said, "You're so young. What do you have to think about?" <laughs> I said, "I don't know." She said, "Why are you worrying? Why do you worry so much?" And I said, "I don't know." <laughs> I'm worried you're mad at me right now. <laughs> but I guess I was a worrier. I don't know. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Did, uh. Was like there... tonight, I worried about not getting here on time. Really? So I had to get here early. So I was here like... He was there early. Yeah. He was at the restaurant early. And I was at the restaurant That's early. That's the thing that freaks me out. I can't be late. Can't be late. Yeah. No. Did you have a nice time at the restaurant? I did. I did too. Yeah, we yeah. shared a meat lover's pizza, yeah. if you're curious, everyone. Yeah, yeah. Norm, thank you for uh, <laughs> letting me sit in your car. Yes. And... Um, there we go. The light's back on. Oh my... On. Yeah. Light is back on. It's raining in Los oh, Angeles. Oh, it's really raining. It's really exciting. i drive you back to your... The He's going to drive me back to my Airbnb that's in yeah. Hollywood, California. All right. <laughs> Thanks talking to you, Norm. All right. Okay. You should let me hear the rainfall. Oh, okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. I am sitting here with... Levi McDougal. He's a good friend and a comedian and comedy writer. And he's from Calgary originally. Mm-hmm. He's he has a very similar trajectory as me if I had <laughs> become a male stand up comedian. You Which, know? There's still hope for you. There's still hope. Um, he originally was from the Loose Moose Theater just like me in Calgary, but he took the stand up route. And uh, he has some pretty amazing credits, so I'm going to embarrass you with some right now. Okay, Talk gotta about... go. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you were part of uh, Laugh Sabbath in uh, Toronto, and they have 
a weekly show. Is that yeah, that yeah. Comedy Bar now. It started at the Ripley. Yes, and yes. And they're still going. Mm-hmm. And uh, right. also you were part of a sketch group called The Distractions. Um, yeah, you... Tim, Polly, and Paul Shuck. Yes, yes. Uh, and also you later became a writer on The Important Things with Dimitri Martin mm-hmm. and toured a lot with him. And now you're a writer on Conan, although some people remember you as the Rogers guy with no cell phone service, but... They do if you keep reminding them. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, only in Canada. Only in Canada, yeah. which, I mean, you were that for a very long time. But now, you've hit the big time. You're a writer on Conan. That's huge. Yeah, thanks. He, he looks shy. It's really it, fun. His face is very shy right now. He's very modest. Oh, I've got shy face. Shy face. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for uh, having me. You might be the only guest I've had in a while that has listened to this show. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. You need better guests. They're not doing their research. I know. I know. I mean, I had my people listen to it for me and make notes. I right. Didn't actually. <laughs> you I didn't wouldn't. actually take the... Oh, God. No. No, no, right. no, no. Please. You're, you're too big for me now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Podcasts? <laughs> Real celebrities don't have time to listen to podcasts specifically. Mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'd like to ask people that are comedians, what do you find funny? Like, are there certain things that really just yeah make you laugh so hard? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I tend to like kind of sillier um, stuff, stuff that I didn't see coming. You know, something where it's like a setup and then there's a twist at the end. That's my kind of humor. Um, like sorry, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, like I mean, some people so like grew, dark stuff. Some sure. people like like. I, I grew up watching like a lot of kids in the hall, so that's yeah. That's exactly my sense of humor. Uh, or Stephen Wright, those people that when I first discovered them, I was like, oh, you can do comedy like this, like Mitch Hedberg, right? People, um, yeah, like Newhart album. I had a lot of comedy albums. Yeah. Growing up, um, Ernie Kovacs. I kind of discovered in my teens and was like blown away. Just people that were doing stuff. I remember watching Mr. Show and then going back to Ernie Kovacs stuff. Not, he's like a, in the comic in the fifties, and just realizing like, oh, there's been people doing this kind of stuff forever. They're just always sort of on the fringe, or they have their kind of hardcore followers that aren't. They're not always so mainstream or recognized so widely. So you're a Canadian living in Los Angeles now, mm-hmm. doing this. I'm How's a, that I'm an been? Immigrant. How does that feel? Oh, this country loves immigrants. <laughs> um, especially, yes, visible minorities like I am. I'm not, um, for the listeners. Uh, how's it been living in the yeah, U.S.? Yeah, as, as a Canadian, because, I mean, we are not super different as cultures, but we are also quite different as cultures. Yeah. Uh, they're just little things or... Yeah, I like it. Um, I'm the only Canadian at my work. I'm the only non-American to ever write for Conan O'Brien's You're the only show. non-American to write for Conan? 25 years, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big accomplishment. It's my only accomplishment. That's your only one. And I had no control over it. I was just born somewhere else and then got a job here. That's amazing. Um, but I like it. I When I was in Canada, I always hated Canadian stereotypes. Like, they just seemed hacky to me. And like, yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, But now it's funny being down here how much I'm drawn to, like, just Canadiana. That, like, I have so yes. many Hudson's Bay things in my place, and I would never had that while I was living there, but I just miss it. And when it's all around you, you don't need to it's immerse annoying. yourself in it. Yeah, yeah. But now it's... Do you know what? I... Okay, so 
for anyone that doesn't know listening, I lived in Calgary, now I live in Toronto. I bought my first pair of cowboy boots like a month ago. Yeah. I've never owned cowboy sure. boots. Yeah. But I'm in Toronto now and it's like I want people to know I that totally, I own western wear I totally and then get I get that. It's I weird. I would have never predicted it too, but it's I totally relate to that. Yeah. And ever since I got here, Levi will not stop talking about Tim Hortons. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he keeps bringing up Timbits. But like deep cuts, like history of it, <laughs> recipes. The man alternative himself. Recipes. Yeah. <laughs> Genealogy and Yeah. Know. Um, so tell me, how did you, uh, make the transition from doing stand up on stage and performing to, uh, writing in a room and getting writing jobs? Um, so most of my, my first writing jobs for TV were in Canada and I got those from stand up or, or at least from people seeing my stand up, getting a sense of my sense of humor, sensibility, and then asking me to submit a packet. So, um, Pop Cultured with Elvira Kurt was the first writing gig I had, right. and that came out of them seeing my stand-up and then asking for a packet. Um, and then from there, and so my first American writing job on Important Things with Dimitri Martin, he went online looking for writers and saw one of my stand-up sets that I'd done. On your website. I remember you telling me early on, Lindsay, if you get anything in this business, get a website, get your name, your domain really? name. Did I say it like yeah, that? You, yes, a lot of gusto. Listen, like, listen here, kid. Someone... One thing you need in this biz. Um, yeah, I think he found me on YouTube, and that led him to my website where I'd had these index cards that I that I'd kind of just written little ideas on. Um, and so he found me through that, contacted my agent in Toronto who called me very excitedly, oh my, my agent's assistant, Nigel. And he's like, uh, could you, do you have, um, Dimitri Martin just called for you and he wants to know if you could talk this afternoon? And had you like, met him Great. at this point? No, 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 no. So I wait, just you had no idea, it was just like a random totally comedian random. that was famous suddenly? Yeah, and I was a fan of his work, like I knew his stuff. And um, What did you think, like what was the first feeling you had in that moment? Um, probably... Like excitement and panic. I probably really, like within seconds, went to, oh God, how am I going to mess this? What is he, who does he think I am? Um, <laughs> he wasn't calling because he was mad at you. <laughs> yeah, he was angry. He's like, I've seen all your jokes. Bad. And then he hung up. That was the only time we spoke. And that was my story of showbiz. Um, and then he called me, and I remember I was on college, and it was in the summer. I was at, like right in Little Italy. And... Um, he called just to like chat and see if I'd be interested in submitting, which I loved. It was like, hey, you know, I don't know if, if this is something you'd be into. He's like, yeah, I think I could. I'd, I'll take a look <laughs> at it. You know, send it over if I have some free time. Like, you played it real cool. Yeah, real cool. But I was walking my bike on College Street and he called. And then so I submitted a packet. And um, Nathan Fielder, who I'd been roommates with in Toronto, also was hired in a similar manner where Dimitri found some of his stuff, not knowing we knew each other. And Nathan Fielder, if you don't know, is the guy from Nathan For You. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, very funny show. Um, so he and I both got the job the first season, two of important things. We moved here and got to be L.A. roommates. Um, and then after the show wrapped, after important things wrapped, I opened for Dimitri on the road for off and on for just under three years. And then from touring, with, while I was touring with him, I submitted a, a Conan packet when they were hiring, so got hired yeah. to Conan about four and a half and, ish years ago. I mean, everybody I think in comedy has a favorite uh, talk show host. I think mine would be Conan as sure. well. Yeah. 
was that someone that like you know of all the different late night shows was that special to you that show yeah it was the one so when i got a manager in the u.s he asked me what shows i would want to write for and there weren't sitcoms for whatever reason i I just wasn't seeing sitcoms as something i wanted to do at that time and i remember saying to him like the one show i know i'd want to write for is conan so if anything comes through um do that i mean especially with letterman going there wasn't really anything yeah. that was kind of my some that kind of silly smart dumb sort of approach yeah smart dumb kind of, that's a good way of putting it that's yeah. how i feel about it too yeah yeah um so yeah it's, it's so what's it like working there for because i'm sure there's a lot of people listening to no this sunlight thing. no sunlight wow. 11 11 floors below the surface <laughs> I wow, know. He, wow. He's very specific about what works best. Um, like, what's it like in the day to day? Yeah, like, what's it like day to day? Like, uh, what does your day look like? We do four shows a week. So we just switched to a half hour format after mm-hmm. he did the hour for 25 years. But our, our days are pretty much the same. We get in around 9, 9.30. Um, we'll usually have a writer's meeting where we kind of pitch ideas or talk off something topical. So like last night, the State of the Union was on so that's something we know we'll need to address either in the monologue or in a bit um and then from there we'll kind of go into either bits that were just approved that we pitched or something we're already working on so we'll do a lot of like pre-tapes that we go out and shoot that need a bit of editing or um or like cg stuff so we'll go to them we usually rehearse around 1 30 so we'll put a lot of ideas on their feet that conan uh hasn't even seen it's kind of a split some of the ideas especially if he's in them he'll know about them but then we'll do some pre-tapes, um, or like if there's a ad parody, um, there'll be sometimes some stuff that he hasn't seen. Or even if he knows the idea, he at least hasn't seen the final version. So it's nice that everyone in mm-hmm. the crew and everyone that's in rehearsal is seeing it for the first time. Um, and then from there, we'll get some tweaks. Conan, he's really good at editing. There was an interview he did where he said, now that he doesn't have as much time to just write, to just sit at his, his desk, he realized the things, the thing he enjoys most is comedy editing. And he's really great at tweaking things on their feet if something's just not quite working or it doesn't quite have a flow or the ending's just not landing he's so sharp andy as well so they're between the two of them like they'll do some tweaks conan will suggest some changes either to the setup and then sometimes to the bit we'll go away make those changes run them by the head writer and then um they're on the show so we tape around 4 30 and then the show's on at 11 at night so wow it's Long fun, day. like yeah yeah, it, it goes by quickly, though, because, like, you can drive in at, you know, 9, and, so, and some news story you heard or an idea that just came to you can be on TV that night, which is, this, who else, you know, what are the shows? Now, they say you shouldn't meet your heroes. Yeah. And you work with maybe a hero. I Never guess. met them. <laughs> Still Not haven't once. met him. No, well, I adhere, underground. I adhere strongly <laughs> to the. Yeah, he's on the surface. We're all underground. We, um, we've seen him with periscopes. He walks by every now and then, but it's just his feet. Were you like I know myself around celebrities, and sometimes I'm fine, mm-hmm. but sometimes I'm like a total idiot. Um, especially if you really like their work or something. Sure. Was it hard to adjust in the beginning? Totally. Did you it's feel like a dork? Of, yeah, and it's still, I mean, it's very intimidating to go in there, not just because of him, but because of that writing room and how much I respected and enjoyed the show. Um, and you want to prove yourself. I mean, especially when you first start, you want to show them that they didn't make a mistake, and then that never goes away. You could have, you know, a great bit on, and then the next day, you're like, 
Oh boy, yeah, but that was probably the last one I had. Now I gotta prove to to them again. But um, it's still. I mean, with Conan, it's still kind of intimidating because he's he's so quick and he's so sharp that you kind of wanna always be on your game because he is. He's and, in shape. Um, he's in mental shape. Yeah. 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 So it's great. I mean, you rise to it, but it's also that never goes away. Um, what is he like as a person? Obviously, he's... you don't have to tell me anything to. Like, <laughs> what would there be? <laughs> I don't know, but people uh, don't want to. A lot like... of blood sacrifices. <laughs> Not supposed to talk about them. Um, <laughs> uh, he's he's so he. What usually happens is we'll have a writers' meeting, and at some point, if Conan's around, he will kick in the door, unannounced. <laughs> Actually. And I remember, I remember once asking him to, like, "Are you turning the knob a little bit before you kick?" And he like cut me off and shouted. He's like, "I, I don't tell my secrets." Saying, but he will. So we'll be in the middle of someone's talking about an idea or a pitch or a news story, and then there's just like bang the door, and everyone just ah in shock every single time. Actual then, shock. Yes. Yeah. It's so scary, especially if you're sitting near the door. Um, you would lose your arm. Like we all, anyone near the door, we have our arms tucked in, knowing that they could be chopped off. Um, but he'll come in and just like riff and sometimes stay for, you know, half an hour, an hour. And it's like the best. It's the kind of, it's like hanging out with comics in the green room, you know, where you're just making every joke you want, except you're with people and with Conan, who's, he's just so fast and it gets dark and it just goes in wild directions um that's great it's so fun there's still and it never goes away where i still have moments where i'm like come on this is How the best i'll just look around and then you know conan's front of me in the head right like all these writers i had seen on the show and you're just like okay great i'm i'm okay here i belong here you don't fully feel that but you're like everyone thinks i belong here so that's close enough um it's great well uh thank you for being on the show thank you very much you're a wonderful guest and thank you for letting me uh sleep on your couch here in los angeles as well was i okay Mm -hmm. for literally sitting next to a pile of shopping bags and blankets incinerate everything once you're gone (laughs) fresh start yeah fresh start thank you so much bye bye And that concludes another episode of Truths Be Told, the comedy writer episode. I had so much fun making this particular episode. You can tell I'm like so giddy in every interview. It's a little embarrassing for me to hear back, but I had so much fun, so I don't care. I want to thank my guests, Tim Long, Norm Hiscock, and Levi McDougall. Thank you so much, guys few more thank yous. Thank you to Matthew Reed, who made the music for the show. Thank you to Catherine Fogler for her podcast photography. Thank you to Kurt Furla for podcast artwork. Thank you to Trevor Pullman, who helps me edit the show. Thank you to the boys at the Sonar Network, Cody Crane and Michael Mangiardi. Uh, the Sonar Network uh, is the reason... I'm 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 up still. They help me so much. They help me upload it cuz I'm so stupid. <laughs> I don't even know how to get it out there. But thankfully, the Sonar network is there to help me with that. 
truth be told, also has a YouTube. So you can look us up on YouTube. Just search truth be told. Truth be told podcast. You'll find us. Also, I'm on Instagram. So if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Linzo Mullo. That's L-I-N-D-S-O-M-U-L-L-O. All right, guys. Till next time, and there will be a next time. I'm going to keep making more episodes. All right. See you later. has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar!